Well, you can open your Bibles to 1 John. We are in our genuine series still. We have a couple more weeks there. And all the way through in 1 John chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have heard this command several times uh, to love one another, uh, to love the Lord, to abide in the Lord. And when we close out chapter 4 today, you are going to see that time and time and time and time and time and time again. In fact, the word love here is mentioned 32 times in 18 verses. You think it's an important theme of this passage of Scripture? Absolutely. There is this repetition over and over, but more than that, what we're going to see in the Scripture this morning is just an overwhelming number of reasons, an overwhelming number of motivations for us to be obeying that command that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, to love God and to love others. In fact, if you know me, if you've ever played a board game with me or uh, been in any kind of race situation with me, you know I'm kind of competitive. Uh, I, I don't, I, not that I'm a mean-spirited uh, competitor, but just that I'm, I'm competitive. I, I, I like to be ahead. I like to win. That's just who I am, okay? So um, I'm not used to preaching lists of things, uh, but in our passage today, I, I have found nine motivations for loving God and loving one another, and so I just would like to make it a little competition, if you can find more than nine motivations, come to me, speak to me after the service and say, Pastor Aaron, I found more than nine. Or if you find one that I have not found, we'll just make it a competition, all right? That's who I am. I can be a little bit competitive. I, uh, I, I think it's sometimes strange just to go over these long lists, but maybe we can have a little fun with it this morning as I preach this list. And so even as I read the passage here, it's a longer passage, you can just get a head start. You can start thinking what are the motivations? Why should we be loving God and loving others? What is this passage telling us about that? So you can follow along. I'm going to read this passage. I know it's kind of long, but now that I've given you a head start, maybe uh, you'll stay engaged. It's going to be chapter 4, verse 7. Of course, we preached verses 1 through 6 a while back in chapter 2 as we talked about false teachers, and so that passage went along there. We will start in verse 7 and go all the way through chapter 5, verse 3. It's this one section about love. So, let me read that for us. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to one, love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is 
love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So before we get to that list, and I don't want to cheat here, there's one major motivation, and we're going to see that. Uh, That's not in my list, but what we'll see before we get there is first, God defines love, and second, the gospel displays God's love. That's this major motivation that we have in the gospel, because Christ displays that for us. So let's look at that real quick. God defines love. Look again at verse 7 and 8. You see there just that that text that's so uh, well-known, God is love. People know this text, even if they're not believers in Christ. But we don't only see it there in uh, verse 7. We see it again in verse 16. The same thing is repeated. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We see that there in repetition to know that this is a big deal. A character statement about who God is. God is love. There's a similar passage in chapter 1, verse 5. As the author here writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, that God is light. God is light in chapter 1, and in chapter 4, this character statement that God is love. And if God is love, that means that God defines love. God is the ultimate definition of love. He is the one that gets to say, this is what love is. This is how you love. This is an example of love. And so that frees us up from any thinking in the world to think that love is a feeling, that love uh, is manipulation. Love can't be manipulation, or that love is tolerance, or that love is defined by the media. None of those things are true. Why? Because God defines love. God is love. Not only is God the truest definition of love, God is the source of love. This character statement to say God is love says that he is the ultimate source of love. So right here on the outset, you don't have to come in here this morning hurting because you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Rather than trying to find ultimate satisfaction in a relationship with God, you're looking in all kinds of other places. To, to fill you up and to satisfy you. It might be uh, finding acceptance of others, your peers or someone at work or friends. You just need those things because that's where you find your love and your value. It might be finding love in a relationship with the opposite sex. 
God's the truest source of love, not this relationship that you're in. Maybe you're pursuing this position at work and just trying to climb the ladder, climb the ladder, and that gives me value. I want to love those things. No, that can't, can't be the best source of love. See, because everything the world has to offer is a cheap substitute compared to being satisfied in a relationship with Christ and knowing truly God is love. He defines love and he is the source of love. And so the question for us this morning is, where are we looking for love? And if it's in anything outside of a relationship with God, I would say it's not going to satisfy. And so maybe right there at the beginning of this whole sermon, we find this moment of repentance to say, God, forgive me. I've left my first love and I want to return back to you. That you would define love for me and that you would be my source of love. That I would find all my love in you. Because furthermore, there's this point that no one can actually love genuinely unless they know, they know God. It's a relationship with the Father through the Son. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can't truly express love as God has defined it. If God is the definition of love and God is the source of love. And so truly, it's as a spring which flows into the river and feeds the ocean... So is God the source of all genuine love. Where are you looking for love? Is it in the Lord? One scholar said it best when he said this, the road to love is paved with faith. First, we need to see that. God is love. And secondly, this huge truth that comes from this passage. You need to make the list because I think it's bigger than that, okay? This idea that the gospel displays true love. It's the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus which displays true love. It's the ultimate example of love. God's expression of how he has loved us. And we sing of it. Hopefully as you sing a song like that, you know in your mind and in your heart that that is ultimately exemplified in Jesus on the cross dying for our sins. And saying, I, I offer you mercy and forgiveness. And I'm giving you righteousness if you would repent and believe in me. Why do I say this? Well, because, again, almost as if it's blinking with a red light, we have this repetition in verse 9 and verse 10. Very similar statements about the gospel. Let's look first in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The ultimate expression of God's love, the reason that we should respond and love Him back is because Jesus Christ came into the world, lived perfectly, died on a cross, raised from the grave, offers us relationship and forgiveness. This is love. More than that, it says in the second part of that, the grounds for why God sent His Son into the world, the reason was so that we might live through Him. Chapter 1, verse 1, says it very, very clearly. We are giving testimony about Jesus, the word of life. Jesus is life. Have you found your life in Christ today? The ultimate expression of God's love. And then also in verse 10, a very similar statement just said twice in a row to get our attention. It says this. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of of our sins. That word propitiation is, is fairly unique here. It's used one other time in 
1 John and another time in the book of Hebrews, it can just be used as this word meaning the atoning sacrifice. The work of Christ on the cross literally was a substitute for us because we've rebelled against God and we have sinned. We deserve the wrath of God. I deserve the wrath of God. Jesus comes in, he gets in the way and says, I'm going to take that wrath. I will be this substitute sacrifice to atone for, to pay for, to ransom you so that your sins are paid for at the cross. This is the glorious news of the gospel. Everything else I'm going to say today is not nearly as important as what, as what I've just said. God is love. His ultimate expression of that love is giving his son that we might have life. We might live in him. So then the question for us is do you have that life? Are you confident in your relationship with Christ? And more than that, if you know that, when was the last time that you just said, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me? I hope that this morning's list of songs was an opportunity for you to do that. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given your life that I might have life. Thank you, Father, for loving me. And if you haven't done that lately, can I just push you towards this life of gratitude and response out of the gospel? And then I want to invite you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, after hearing this this morning so clearly, so plainly, uh, my prayer is that God would be opening your eyes right now and opening your ears to hear the truth of the Scriptures, and you would not walk out of this place without saying, somebody help me understand how to start my relationship with Jesus. Anyone in this church would love to do that with you. Any pastor here would love to do that. So the invitation is open. If you don't know Christ, get to know Him today. Respond. Turn from your sin and trust in Him today and start this relationship with God, knowing the true source of love, knowing that He has defined love by sending His Son. So now that we have those things very, very clear, we can get to this list. All right? Nine additional motivations for obeying the command to love God and love people. Y'all ready for this? Wow. Okay, I'm going to try again. Are y'all ready for this? Okay. Okay, thank you. Here's the first one. We love God. We love others. Why? Verse 8. Because it proves that we know God. Look at verse 8 one more time. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We love because it proves that we know Him. The opposite's true. And that's what the, the passage expresses, that if you don't love, it just shows that you don't love God. And so right at the outset, we've been preaching about this out of 1 John several times over the last few weeks. But right at the beginning, if there's anything in you that's feeling any sense of conviction because you're harboring bitterness or hate towards a brother or sister, that God's dealing with you right now, here's just the first time that you can say, you know what, God, help me. Help me today. Help me to repent from those things today. Help me to be made right today. Help me to follow what it says in 1 John 1, 9, to confess my sin because you are faithful and just. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Right now, if you hear that, because it proves that you know God, and if you're hating somebody, it might prove that you don't know God and you're not genuine. The response for us is to repent. Number one. Here's the other motivation, number two. Because God loves us. Why should we love others and love God? Because God loves us. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. 
He has expressed his love to us, namely and most importantly through the gospel. And because of that, because we know Christ and we've responded to the gospel, then we're able to love others. Why? Because he loved us. Number three, because it makes the invisible God visible. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's this statement here that that God is not seen by the eye. God has invisible uh, qualities. The Father, we, no one's ever seen the Father, okay? Jesus came down. We saw God in the flesh. No one's seen the Father. This is a statement about who God is, right? He's omnipresent everywhere all at once, and we can't see him. But you know what? If we love others, if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then even though God, who's invisible, His love is perfected in us, and He actually is displayed through us as the church. That's what Jesus said in John 13, By this they will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So here this statement about God being invisible actually is made visible when Christians act like Christians and they love. So here's the deal. I, I like to give my, my wife flowers. Okay, and I'm not a, like, valentine flower guy of course that the roses are everywhere and she expects it i like to give flowers just to say krista i just wanted to say i love you yeah that's that's when i like to give flowers because i gotta wait i gotta time it right she can't be expecting i like the surprise but here's the truth i can't give flowers to god i can't give a physical expression of love directly from me to god why he's invisible but you know what i can do and what this passage is saying I show my physical expression of love to God by the way that I love others. Why love? Because it makes the invisible God visible. Number four, because it proves that we are abiding. And this theme has come up already in 1 John, that the genuine believer abides in him. You can write, write down John 15 if you're taking notes. A wonderful passage to go back to and study later. Right? For those who are in Christ abide in Him and they bear much fruit. This is the expectation of every believer, that genuine believers abide in Him. Yesterday we had a wonderful training. I was blown away by the number of people that were there that morning. And over and over in our evangelism and discipleship training, we heard this theme about the abiding person. If you are actually going to fulfill the Great Commission, it needs to come from a person who's abiding in Christ close, intimate, connected, obeying Christ. And so how do we do that? Well, we talked a lot yesterday about being in the Word and being in prayer and having fellowship and obedience to the commands. Well, right here in 1 John, it says, if you want to be abiding in Him, you should be loving Him and loving others. You see it there in verses 15 and verses 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. For we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and God abides in love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See that there? We prove that we're abiding in him as we're obeying this command to love. Number five. Why do we love? Because it gives us confidence on judgment day. It gives us confidence on judgment day. See, if we've 
genuinely loved God and loved others, we have zero reason to fear on Judgment Day. Look what it says there in verse 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, if we've responded to the gospel that we know Christ, and we're abiding in Christ, we love God, and we're loving others, we don't have any reason to say, man, I hope I make it through on judgment day. I'm keeping my fingers crossed, right? Because we're not trusting in what we do, we're trusting in what Christ has done for us. We've responded to this gospel, and we're trusting in what Christ has done for us, there is this life that just overflows in us, a love for God and a love for others. Yesterday, we were uh, going around a neighborhood and wanting to share the gospel with some people, and I was in a group with a couple students. I was so proud. I'm not going to name them, okay? But I was so proud that they, they stood with us and shared the gospel on this doorstep. There was a man, uh, 90 years old. Uh, he was so encouraging to us. He had so much happiness. He was talking about, I've been born of God, and I want to share with you this wisdom from the scriptures. And he was trying to pour into these young men that were with us in our group. And one thing he said troubled me. We were talking, we were having a great conversation, and uh, as this young man was sharing the gospel with him and talking about eternal life in Christ, he said, well, I sure hope God doesn't send me to hell. Now, all of a sudden, I'm confused because he's, his testimony is, I'm born again. I'm saved by grace. I know Jesus Christ. And then he says, but I sure hope God doesn't send me to hell. And I asked him, I said, sir, why do you have to hope that God wouldn't send you to hell if all your confidence is in Christ? He's 90 years old. It was hard to continue that conversation. There was others that got involved. I never really quite got the answer. That's not good. Someone who is loving God in response to the gospel, loving others in response to the gospel, shows that their life has been changed by Christ. They're trusting in Christ alone, and they have no reason to fear on Judgment Day. Absolutely no reason to fear. There is confidence there. We saw that theme in uh, chapter 2, verse 28. I'll read it real quick. It says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence not to shrink from Him in shame at His coming. We know Christ. We've responded. We're loving well. We have no reason to fear, right? No reason to be afraid of punishment. We know Christ. We all are all of our chips on the gospel. Number six. Why do we love? Because God loves us first. You see it very plainly in verse nineteen. We love because He first. Loved us. The truth of the matter is, if, if God did not first love us, I would not be able to love. We know in Romans 5, 8, in this is love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. God loved us first, and now we can respond and love others well. Uh, a man named John Stott said it like this. It's not our love that's primary, but God's free uncaused and spontaneous and all our love is but a reflection of his and a response to it because god loved us first we can love the seventh motivation here comes out of verse 20 
we don't want to be liars. Right now, just ask yourself this question, and I want you to be very honest, okay? Raise your hand if you want to be known as a liar. No hands? Really? I'm not surprised. No one wants to be known as a liar, right? And right here in the passage in verse 20, if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you are a liar. Why do I want to respond what Christ has done to me and then obey him and love? Why? Because I don't want to be a liar. It's not the first time we hear this theme in 1 John. It says it often. We're reading through the first few chapters. If you say you love God, if you say one thing with your lips, but your actions show something different, you're false. You're not true. You're not genuine. You're a liar. And so if you don't want to be a liar, well, just make sure you're responding to what Christ has done. You're trusting in him, and there's fruit of your life to be loving God and loving others. Here's number eight. We're almost done. Here's number eight. Because it proves that we are children of God. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know, by this we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. If we're loving God, if we're obeying his commandments, it just proves that we have this relationship with Christ. We've been reborn. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, would say that. John 3, a great discussion on what it, what it means to be reborn and born into God's kingdom and born of God. But here's the simple truth. It says not just that it, it proves that we're born of God, but, but that, of course, we should love others that are born of God. It would be totally inconsistent if we say, yeah, you're a brother or sister in Christ. I don't love you. I'm annoyed by you. It's hard to love you. Get away from me, right? Can you just imagine if somebody came to me and said, Aaron, I really love you. I love hanging out with you. I just want nothing to do with your kids. I, they're just hard to love. I don't want anything to do with them. What would my reaction be? Good riddance. I don't want anything to do with you either, right? Maybe I'd have to repent and say, God, just help me love those people because it's hard. That's what the passage is saying here. Loving God, loving others proves you're born of God. But then there's this clear, natural expectation that whoever loves the Father also loves whoever has been born of Him. We should be loving one another. Last one, number nine. Because it's in obedience to God's command. Chapter 5, verse 3. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. See, I don't think we need nine motivations, nine reasons. Honestly, if we've got a relationship with the Father because what Christ has done for us in the gospel, it, all that needs to be said is, this is what I want you to do. And we do it in obedience to his commands. Why do we love God and love others? Because it's just simply in obedience to God's commands. I know that's a long list, and I know that it's just time after time after time, almost like wave crashing over us. And I think the reason we have that is that we might be overwhelmed by this kind of list this morning and say, God, help me, help me to make sure that I'm obeying your commands. So that's the question for you. Some of us need to respond this morning 
respond with repentance because we know that we're not loving well. We're not loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We're not loving one another as the command says right here in chapter 4, verse 7. We're not abiding in Him. And so there's some repentance that needs to be made. Some of us hear lists like this and we just get this leading of the Holy Spirit to say, God, I want, I want to love you more and, and stronger and deeper. I want this intentional obedience and love for you. Oh, God, help me to love you more. And then maybe some of us hear a list like this and we're just encouraged. And the scriptures used to encourage us to say, look, this is exactly how you should be living. This is how a genuine follower of Christ lives. Keep it up. Keep doing it. Don't give up. Persevere. There's many ways to respond to a list like this. How, how are you responding is a good question. Before we close, I just want to draw your attention to one other part of this verse. And it's meant to be an encouragement. It's chapter 4, verse 13. Look there one more time. And I don't know if you notice, I know sometimes it can be so subtle, but we intentionally sang a song this morning that praised the Father, praised the Son, praised the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is three in one, that there are these persons of the Trinity, and there are these roles within the Godhead that we see all over the Scripture, and we see it right here in our passage this morning. In verses like 13, I'm going to start in verse 12, talking about God's love. No one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. I think the assumption is God is the Father there. But just in case you weren't certain, listen to the specifics in verse 13 and 14. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be Savior of the world. You see the role there of the Trinity right there in those few verses? I think we're reminded of the Holy Spirit here to be encouraged because the Holy Spirit gives us confidence. Knowing that we've followed the leadership of the Spirit, knowing that we've been convicted of sin, knowing that we've been led to love, knowing that we've responded to the gospel, that should give us confidence. We're walking with Jesus. A few key reasons here, if you didn't already catch them. This reminder of the role of the Holy Spirit is very helpful. Why? Because it's the work of the Holy Spirit first that convicts our hearts to know we're not loving. We're in sin. We need to obey the Father. And so we praised Him. The Spirit has convicted us. That's a praise moment and a confidence. We should be encouraged this morning. Number two, because the Spirit always points forward to Jesus, right? That's the role of the Spirit. Jesus says, I will send the the wonderful counselor, he will point people to me. That's what the Spirit does. And so even the reminder here in verse 13 that the Spirit is the one that genuine believers have. And genuine believers have seen, verse 9 and verse 10, that Jesus was sent into the world, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Verse 14, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so if you have seen those with spiritual eyes and heard that truth with your ears, it's only because the Holy Spirit has shown you that. That should give you confidence. That should give you encouragement this morning. Thank you, God, for moving in me. And then lastly, I think this general assurance. The most natural reading here of verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Very similar in chapter 3, verse 24. 
By this we know that he abides in us by his spirit whom he has given us. And so, yes, all along we have asked the question, are you genuine? Here in 1 John, are you loving God? Are you loving others? You don't want to be a liar. Are you persevering? Have you gone out like the false teachers? Or are you walking with God? Are you obeying his commands? Are you genuine? Are you genuine? That's been the question all along. And it's a good question. It's a good question for every believer to examine themselves. It's a good question for me. But as we look at a text like this today, I don't think that that's the main emphasis. I think the main emphasis is encouragement. We've got the Holy Spirit, and we should have assurance and confidence. We have nothing to be afraid of at judgment if we know Christ. We're loving God and loving others, showing that we've responded that He has loved us first. The whole point of it is not to question. The whole point of it is to give you confidence and assurance. And I know that that's a long list to get to today. But I get through it, and at the end, I say, are you confident? Do you have assurance? Are you encouraged this morning at a passage like this? Because that's exactly what the role of the Holy Spirit should do in us. That's exactly what the Word should do. And, and I would even say, that's exactly what should be happening today. As I'm teaching, as I'm preaching this good news of the Scripture, Christ is the ultimate display of God's love. That should dwell up in us an excitement and a gratitude and a confidence. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I'm loving you. I'm loving others. My life is for you. I want to obey you and abide in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us that confidence and assurance. So hopefully you're encouraged this morning. But maybe there is, as I already said, uh, a way for you to respond that's different than just praise God and encourage. Maybe there's some sin for you to repent of. Maybe just, God, thank you for redefining for me according to the truth of your word. That you define love, that you are the source of love. That I wouldn't look for love in all the wrong places. Thank you, God, for that. Maybe as I read over that list, God just continues to remind you, you're not loving that person. You've still got hate and bitterness and frustration that's still welling up in you. And today would be a day that you would break free from that and you would have freedom from that bondage of frustration and hate. I'm not exactly certain how you should respond to the Scripture today, but I think the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 13, should be leading you and guiding you. And so now we have a time to respond, a time to pray, a time to ask for prayer, a time to ask for help talk to a, another believer here or talk to a pastor and say, teach me about this relationship with Christ. So I want to pray. I want to give this time over to the Lord. And again, there's nothing magical about coming to these steps and praying. There's nothing super spiritual about that. There is not. But there is something great about responding to God and putting a stake in the ground and telling somebody else what God's doing or, or, or coming literally to... Uh, geographically moving your body and saying, I, I want to give myself in total surrender to the Lord. And so if you're able, I would encourage you to come to this.